All right, so uh, we're continuing this morning in our uh, series that we started back on June 4th, Summer of Love. Uh, we began by talking about uh, the reality and the fact and what the scriptures declare that God is love. This sort of simple, very simple, but overarching sort of idea and picture of the scriptures and who God is. God is love. And then we talked about the fact and the reality in uh, Jesus' teaching that not only is God love, but that God loves you, God loves me, God loves us. We are God's beloved, God created us, and then God redeemed us, sustains us, and does so out of a passionate parental love. Not because he has to, but because he can, and it's his character, and it's nature, and he gets to. God is love. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. And then we talked about uh, the reality also found in the scriptures that people who have been loved, who understand God's love uh, up here and right here, Uh, become loving people. Uh, They are compelled out of understanding God's love uh, to love God back, to love other people, to be filled with that love, and then to release that and to share that and to live out love, which is an action, is a verb in the scriptures almost always. We talked about two ways that uh, we're called and prompted to love, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Jesus said, is the greatest commandment, and then to love other people, to love God and to love other people. And we've went through for a number of weeks a number of ways that we can love other people, another, uh, a number of ways that that looks like, what that looks like, who the people are we're called to love, our neighbors, who a neighbor is, not just the person next door, but a wide variety of people. Two weeks ago, we finally talked about uh, Jesus' very difficult call to love even our enemies. This morning, we get to something that may be even more difficult at times in our lives than loving our enemies, which we'll see in the scriptures in just a moment. But first, let's pray one more time. God, we're reminded uh, through our singing and uh, John's praying and uh, being together in this space of your grandeur, of your greatness, of your glory, of your goodness, just in and of yourself, but also to us, toward us and for us. We're deeply grateful, and we want you to be honored and worshiped and glorified uh, as you have been through the reading and unpacking of your word. Uh, Teach us, be our teacher. Help us to attend to you and to be as attentive as we can be. Uh, We put ourselves in your hands to shape and mold and refine us as you have forgiven and reconciled us to yourself. Continue your work in us through your spirit. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin uh, this morning with just two verses, two verses from chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, and we're just going to look at those two verses for a couple minutes and then circle back and put them in their context, which is always, always, always super important, understanding the scriptures in their context. Okay to read them on their own, but eventually, at some point, understand the context, the bigger sort of setting of those pictures, uh, of those scriptures. Uh, it's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. It was just before the Passover festival. Uh, Jesus and his closest students or followers, the twelve, were in an upper room in some house. The evening meal was in progress. So beginning at verse 34 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, listen closely. This is the word of God through the Son of God, Jesus. 
a new command I give you. At the end of his road, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I'm going to read it again, just two verses. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples or my students, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know. Many of us, if not most of us, are familiar with Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew that have often been called or named or understood, known as the Great Commission. Go therefore into all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to do what I have taught you to do, and lo, I will be with you always through the end of the age. This was Jesus' plan, God's plan for the expansion of his kingdom for his gospel and his kingdom. Uh, the gospel writer Mark tells that in an abbreviated way, because everything is abbreviated in Mark, and in an abbreviated way, but in similar and with similar words. The gospel writer Luke has his own unique way of telling how God in Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, commissioned all of these disciples and sent them out as witnesses to all over the world to spread the message of his gospel and his kingdom. And then the gospel writer John has his own way of telling about Jesus' commissioning of his disciples in a variety of different ways. In chapter 21 of John's gospel, John, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. He also says in chapter 17, scroll back a few chapters in John's gospel, Jesus prays for his disciples, but he also prays for the world, and he prays that his disciples will be a light to the world. And then John's got, he, he scrolls back even more into here chapter 13. There are Jesus' disciples, Jesus' apprentices, and uh, Jesus says, this is how everyone, everyone's really inclusive, Everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. People will know, people will get the message, the message will get out, it will go to the ends of the earth, to the dark, darkest corners, by the way that you love one another. Everyone will know that I am loved, Jesus says, that I am loved, that the Father is loved, that God is loved. And they will know that you are my disciples, my students, my apprentices, my followers, my adherents, my pupils. They will know that by the way that you treat one another, one another, by the way that you treat one another. Everyone will know. In contrast, Jesus didn't say, think about this for a moment, that people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you get up on Sunday morning and get dressed and go to church. Or by the way that you raise your hands in worship, or by miraculous works that you may do, or by volunteering for some ministry or role in the church, or by teaching God's word. People will know that you are my apprentices, Jesus says, by the way that we, look around real quick, do a 360 with your head, swivel. We love one another. All of your best evangelism ideas and projects and strategies a distant second to the way that we love one another, Jesus says, as getting out his message. But how is this new, I ask myself, a new command I give you? There are 59 different one another's in the New Testament. 59 different things 
that we are told as the body of Christ, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people in Christ, to do to and for one another. Forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, walk with one another, care for one another, pray for one another. Oh, 59 times in the New Testament. 59 times. And the pinnacle of those, and the one that's repeated more times by far than any of the others, is love one another. Love one another. And it's a command. And it needs to be a command. Andy Stanley says the primary activity of the church, of the early church, was one anothering one another. The primary activity of the church, if you look at sort of the scriptures, is one anothering. Is this way of relating, being in community, belonging to each other. He also says when everyone sits in rows, you can't do very much one anothering. Which is interesting, right? And this is the way we spend a lot of our time together as the church, or how the church in the world today spends a lot of time together. Pretty ineffective way of one anothering one another. So uh, the downside—sidebar for a second—the downside, one of the downsides of live stream. God bless you. We love you. We're glad you're here. If you're with us via live stream or YouTube in delayed broadcast this morning or this afternoon or whatever day it is. We're really grateful for live stream, especially for those of you who can't get out, who can't travel, who uh, can't travel to be here or are traveling, you're sick, maybe you live in a different place. We're glad you're here and we're glad for live stream. But live stream also has some tremendous weaknesses as a long-term plan for uh, being a part of the body of Christ, for following Jesus, for knowing, for being his community. And that's that uh, sitting in front of your screen or your TV or your phone or wherever you are, you don't have the joy, you don't get the joy and the privilege that we get to experience here of that whole one anothering to which Jesus calls us. I've talked about this before, and not, no shame for those of you who are on live stream at all, but there's more. In his spirit, God calls us to more, invites us to more, and there's more room and bandwidth for growth in Christ. When we gather in this place and practice the 2,000-year-old discipline of being together, because despite uh, all of our technology, and I, I, read something, um, I read something on the plane last night. See if I, can, if I can dig it up, if I printed it out. Well, I can't, uh, the da- no, I can't find it. That's not it. Uh, but essentially, the author of a recently re- released book says that we know how to text. We're really good at communicating with one another in a gazillion different ways. But we uh, pass along information. We've lost or we're losing the ability to understand, to confide, confide, to be together in true relationship as we used to. And so when uh, a person's not here it, and it's easy to be here and to live in your little silo. And those of you who come in after the greeting time, we know that's why. <laughs> but imagine the possibilities when you don't come just to listen uh, and learn, but you come to forgive and to be forgiven. You come to encourage and to be encouraged. You come to give and to receive. You come to pray for other people in addition to being prayed for. It's that sort of mutuality and one anotherness to which God calls the church by its very nature, by our very nature. We're not supposed to be a collection or a collective of independent people. 
but people who continually one another, one another, as Andy Stanley says. Okay, there's more. Uh, Back to the question, how is this new? A new command I give you. First of all, two things. What Jesus has just done, the bigger context, is washing his disciples' feet. As I have loved you. How had Jesus loved you? If we read verses 1 through 16, and I'm not going to take the time to do that because most of you remember the story and know how that goes. Jesus, as they were beginning to eat, gets down on, takes off his outer garment, gets down on his knees, and begins with a bowl and a towel, a basin and a towel, to wash his disciples' feet as an act of hospitality, taking the very nature of a servant, doing what the lowest person in the community or the congregation or the household would do, and to wash the dirty, stinky feet of others. Do what I have done for you. By this people, all people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And the immediate context is washing one another's feet or doing the lowliest or the closest to the ground. Thank you, Jomo. uh, Closest to the ground task or role that there is to do. All people will know that you are my disciples when you live this way among one another and with one another. That's the first thing. The second new thing about this involves who was there. And who was there uh, was the 12 disciples, but also a guy named Judas. Sort of the bad guy in this story. The immediately preceding verses, 18 through 30, verse 30, are all about Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. And he is still in the room when Jesus says these words, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love you, not 11 of you, all 12 of you love one another, and by the way that you love every one of one another, including Judas, including Judas. And every community, in some ways, every congregation, every Christian body has a Judas of some sort on some scale and some measure. Is it true? So these things were fresh on Jesus' mind and eventually would be, mo- be na- made known to his disciples. Jesus knows what's going on and what's going to go on with Judas. Others may have a hint or an idea or an inclination. It will all become clear to them later on, though. Jesus loved one another, included Judas. I read this last week. It says the test of Christianity may not be loving Jesus, but rather loving Judas. The test of Christianity may not be loving Jesus, but loving Judas, or the one like Judas, or the Judas in your midst. And you, go, you can go uh, apostolic on me on this, but take a deep breath. I don't mean to suggest that loving God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength aren't the most important command. Clearly, Jesus said that loving God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength was and is the most important of all the commands, and the second is like it. The second goes with it. The second completes it. Love your neighbor as yourself or care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, which is a lot. 
Be as interested and committed to your neighbor's well-being as you are your own, which is natural for us to care about our own well-being. But included in that community very much was, and it would, the disciples would come to understand that, Judas and the people like him as well. And it can be really hard. Go back to what we were talking about. It seemed like two weeks ago that loving one's enemies is about as hard as it could possibly get. But now think about your nuclear family or your extended family on Thanksgiving or Christmas or another holiday or a visit that lasts too long or interactions around money or power within your family. And think about how difficult it is sometimes and almost, for some of us, almost impossible, seemingly impossible. I don't want to do that. Love the people in one's family, one's community, and the body of Christ. Love one another. Has anyone else ever had an experience where it just seems like the hardest person in the world at this moment to love is someone in my inner circle? Or someone who's wearing a matching wedding ring? Or someone who lives in my household? Has anyone had that experience? Like, I'd rather, God, give me an enemy to love right now. Just be a little bit easier than this. Unfortunately, this has also been the story of the church. Church disagreements, quarrels, fights, and even splits are legendary when we fail or refuse to love one another in front of a watching world. As a lapsed Christian once reported, once upon a time I saw this guy on a high bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. The man responded, why not? Nobody loves me. I said, the author writes, God loves you. Do you believe in God? The man on the bridge said, yes, I believe in God. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? The man said, I'm a Christian. He said, me too. Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? He said, Protestant, me too. What denomination are you? The man replied, Baptist. Me too. Are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? The man replied, Northern Baptist. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? The man said, Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? The man replied, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And the man on the bridge said, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council 12. And I replied, you heretic. And I pushed him off the bridge. I know it's terrible. Someone said it's terrible. I know it's terrible. I feel terrible about sharing that. But there's some truth to it, historically. The poor Presbyterian church has split over and over and over as well. Sometimes it can be really hard to love other people in the church. It regularly happens. People leave the church because they just can't stand someone, right? They just can't, can't do it. Interestingly, Thomas Merton has this uh, neat thing that he says. He says, you know what? As members of the body of Christ, we owe it to one another to be as easy for the other to love as possible. Ever think about that? Thomas Merton, we owe it to one another to make ourselves as easy as love to poss- as possible. Not to be difficult, not to dig in our heels, not to just make it really hard to love another, but as an act of grace, we owe it to one another to make ourselves as lovable as possible. 
Thomas Merton said, uh, kind of building on Aquinas, we've used Aquinas' statement, Thomas Aquinas, love is the choice to will the good of another. Uh, Merton said, to love one another is to will what is really good for that person. What is really good, not what I want for that other member of the church, that brother or sister in Christ, the one another's. To love another is to will what is really, truly good for the other person. I've, uh, I confession, I'm not going to get specific, but I've struggled with that with one or two people, not because of the other person or them being difficult to love, but just me, utter failure over the last couple of weeks. Like it happens when we get busy, when we get stressed, when we get overwhelmed, when we forget things, when we uh, fail to walk in the steps of Jesus Thomas Merton also said, if we wait for some people to become agreeable or attractive before we begin to love them, we will never begin, right? If we wait for some people in the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to become agreeable or attractive before we begin to love them or will to love them or choose to love them, we will never begin. He continues, if we are content to give them a cold and personal charity that is merely a matter of obligation, we will not trouble to try to understand them or to sympathize with them at all. And in that case, we will not really love them because love implies an efficacious will not only to do good to others exteriorly, but also to find some good in them to which we can respond. To love others is to will what is really good for them. And so what's new about this? The new is the way of getting down on one's knees and of serving as a humble servant. The new is to recognize that within the body of Christ are people who are really difficult to love, and sometimes those people are looking at us in the mirror. Right? They're looking at us in the mirror, through the mirror, from the mirror. Love one another, a new command that I give you. All people will know. This is, in some ways, part of John's great commission. All people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Lots of people seem to love one another, do love one another. The church should never be the one who's left out, failing to love their brothers and sisters. Last night... uh, Karen and I dropped off uh, kid number two at college, and kid number one went to a college with a Christian name, but isn't really a Christian college and doesn't pretend to be. Uh, And kid number two is going to a college that doesn't have a Christian name, but very explicitly is and intends to be, and uh, works with uh, that idea and is committed to that idea. And both are fine and good and great universities. And we'll, both will have good experiences, I trust. And there are a lot more things uh, that are more important than the university. But the spirit among the second, the commitment to one anotherness is so incredibly high. It was just overwhelming at times. And not perfect. There were a lot of strangers at Parents Weekend, Welcome Weekend. But the commitment and the joy to serve one another, how can I... We were, Karen and I were overwhelmed at the number of times people said, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? How can I help your student? 
this service is here. This opportunity is here. This is here. We want to care for you. Like, wow. It's not a perfect university. The church is not a perfect church. But in the first centuries, the pagans would say, recorded in secular and Christian history, look at the Christians. See how they love one another. Look at the Christians. See how they love one another. May we uh, be and become that kind of people by God's grace with the Spirit's help, grounded in the Scriptures, attempting to follow Jesus. May we, as our values say, love all people unconditionally, but especially one another in the church. Partly because, not wholly because, but partly because the world is watching. And as we love one another dearly and from the heart and in acts of service, we proclaim God's glory. We're as good as global missionaries to a world, again, that desperately needs what God has and is eagerly waiting. Let's pray. We again thank you, God, for loving us, for dying for us in Jesus Christ, for inviting us into your death that heals and that reconciles. We thank you for the nature that you took in putting on humanity, and not only putting on humanity, but getting down on your, your knees to serve just a fallen, dirty, messed up people and bringing uh, light and life to them and to us. Help us, God, to love the people in our lives who are difficult to love, to love in your way those people and especially in the church. Help me and help each of us, God, to also become a little bit easier to love for the brothers and sisters around us in the way we are, in the way we follow you, in the way that we interact outwardly and inwardly in our words and our thoughts. Help us in that regard and be glorified in all of this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.